You are tired of average. You want more out of life. You know you're capable of something greater. This show will help you become resilient in your home, at work, and in your community. Welcome to the Resilient Humans Podcast with your host, Kevin Wood. Welcome back to the Resilient Humans Podcast, and I have an awesome guest today. He's a personal trainer, public speaker, competitive athlete, certified metabolic analysis, and a respiratory trainer. The list goes on here. This is just scratching the surface here, Uh, but I'd like to welcome Gilles Essiambre, and we practiced that before we started, so I made sure to get it correct. So welcome to the show, Gilles. Thanks a lot, Kevin. Right on. So you... We have a lot of similar uh, friends and acquaintances. We just found that out. And that's pretty neat to see how the, you know, literally one degree of separation can bring all of these people into your life. And that I really enjoy that aspect of this. So, um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it was a f- funny coincidence when two people said, you got to reach out to that Kevin Wood. You guys are like so, both of you guys are into the resilience and and how to bounce back and and. And then the second person, uh, Catherine, said, you need to meet Kevin and you need to introduce yourself to him. And I was like, is it Kevin Wood? That's like really weird. You know, in three days, I hear your name, that I should be <laughs> reaching out to you. So we must have a awesome. lot of the same traits. <laughs> Possibly. Yeah. So for for listeners, we had Catherine Spear on the show before. So if you want to dive back into that episode, if you haven't listened to it, it was an awesome, awesome episode. So Um, I believe Catherine just was in for a a session with you. She was kind of getting her, um, metabolic, um, testing done with you. And, and then I think you're going to go and switch things over and do her thermal testing with her. So yeah, we're going to be meeting up uh, to go over all the, uh, the report and everything that I analyzed and, uh, you know, some, some really cool statistics, you know, come out from, from uh, from her results and nothing surprised me too much and uh, she's going to get retested in eight weeks and I'll know if she actually does her homework or cheats metabolic tests do not lie it's funny (laughs) you say that because we have an in-body machine here and it it tells you everything that you're made of body fat water weight the whole deal and uh, it doesn't lie it's the numbers are there (laughs) If you're so gonna you say, if you're gonna eat over yeah. the calories, yeah, it's it's, it's not gonna change the scale. Yeah. It's like a bank account. You can easily look in the bank account and see if yeah. you're saving or if you're spending. So it, it exactly. keeps track of every penny, right? It's just um, a snapshot. That's right. All right, Jill, let's dive back. Let's go uh, a little little back into history here. Tell us like who you are, where you're from, what got you started uh in your uh chosen career path that you're in now. Well, uh, I'll go back to my, I, I had a really good, you know, childhood, good parents. Um, I was always short. So for some reason, I, I, I was a good athlete, not like an athlete that was going to go pro at anything, but I was really good at everything I did and um, very competitive. And uh, I realized really quickly in life that I knew because of my stature, let's say for sports, that I had to be different. So I quickly learned in hockey, I would get beat around quite a bit in the first two periods. I didn't stand out. I was just the average guy skating around. But I realized in third period that I would outskate everybody. My confidence went up because they were tired and I wasn't. So it's important in life, I think, that we need to find your strength. 
and tap into those strengths. You, you know, we got to fix our weaknesses, but we also got to, got to, uh, um, you know, tap into our strengths and find out. So I found earlier on some of my strength and, uh, that went a long way for my, uh, you know, for, for my future development and so forth in business and, and in sports. But going back, uh, you know, I had a wonderful career, let's call it in the real estate game. I, I did really well into my 20s and 30s. I was top 3% in Canada for years um, with Royal LePage. So I was on the top of my game. Everything was going really good. But some of the trauma that I was actually dealing with I, as a man or, or when I grew up it was to bury it. That's how we learn. So I just kept burying it, burying it. And there were some pretty heavy traumas. And uh, just kept burying it and burying it. And it all came crashing for me uh, after, you know, the separation of the, uh, the mother of my kids. That's when I just couldn't control the, the trauma. It all came up. And uh, it really got me into heavy drinking. And not just drinking on a daily basis and being able to go to work the next day. This was like drink binges. So that was in 2010 that I experienced my first binge. And, uh, you know, it was quite scary for the people around me. And uh, eventually I got myself out of it temporarily and met another woman, got married. Uh, everything was fantastic. And that came to a grounded halt, too, because the binges would come up a little bit. And at the same time that we got separated, within a month, uh, uh, I lost my best friend to suicide. And uh, before that, I caught him a couple of times in, in attempts. And so that was quite traumatic to, to, to catch him in that. But you don't really think, that, ah, it's, maybe it's for attention. Maybe it's this. But... Within a month after my separation uh, from the love of my life, I guess at that time was uh, that traumatic moment with uh, with my best friend committing suicide. And he was not just a best friend. He was my daily coffee guy. 10 o'clock, have coffee, 3.30 at the gym. So that was a big moment where basically everything came crashing around me. And I couldn't deal with the, uh, you know, the you know, the, the encounter of the, the sexual abuse I, I received, not as a child either, as, as an adult, um, that was buried. And, but that all came out during that time. But the way I dealt with it was pity me, poor me, poor me. And I only realized that like years down the road to get out of it, you got to stop being poor me, poor me. You can do that for a while. But you're going to have to turn that page sooner or later and say, that's it. I had enough. But those experiences basically just up and down and up and down, in and out of detox. Um, I, I lost count when I think I wrote to you. I said like 30 times, but it probably a lot more than that. I was in Hamilton. I would drink enough that I would end up in a hospital. I was intubated because I'd stop breathing, alcohol seizures. People didn't see that because... I would quickly get out and I would bounce back, get back into my athletics, back in my job and go, 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 go until the next crash, you know, two months, three months later. So 
I, I was resilient as in I was bouncing back, you know, I was climbing that mountain again, but I was climbing the mountain too fast. And I didn't learn some of the things I needed to learn with mental health. So with a lot of mental health help and uh, uh, surrounding myself with really good people, you know, I was able to, to luckily bounce out of it finally. But those moments were, were tough, you know, for family, friends. You know, I lost a lot of friends out of this and it damaged a lot of my relationships and some of my family members. So it's to go that low and to survive it. And it's not just surviving the, you know, being intubated, surviving the car crashes, um, you know, all those things that you're embarrassed about. Um, you think about it now that you're proud that you can get out of that. And it, not everybody, I guess, can go that deep into uh, a hole, a rabbit hole and come out. So I'm very grateful for that. And I wanted to show the world that don't go that deep. If you're going into that rabbit hole, tell yourself now, listen to my story and use that as a catching. All right. I, I ended up at, let's call it, I went on detox once or twice. I, I got to actually get myself out of it like, like now. And let's take accountability. Accountability for me was was tough to be able to say, okay, this is on me now. You know, it, it's it's enough with all the excuses and poor Jill. You know, well, nobody understands me. Well, no one's gonna truly understand how you truly feel. We're all individual, just like physiology. You know, with the, you know how we burn fat and burn calories. We're all different. So it took me a while to uh, to get out. It, you know, I, I remember doing a, a thinking that I was totally out of it um, when I did the Spartan race. Um, right before my Spartan race, I, I had an episode where I ended up in detox. I was intubated in 2017. And I that proved to me that how resilient the body can be and the brain is being hospitalized and the doctor saying you can't do this race. You know, you were just intubated. We just took the tube out of your mouth. You're still detoxing on the effect of the two-week binge drinking you've done. And I signed myself out. And I remember my sister talking to me on my way to Quebec. I stopped in Camelton. My sister said, you're going to die on that mountain. <laughs> and that affected me quite a bit because it made me nervous. Number one, I'm, I'm detoxing off alcohol. So I'm still got the shakes. This is like five, six days later. And I went to the race, which you were there, and and I finished it. You know, I think it was a 60% from what the uh, people said, the 60% failed to finish. And, and here I was, you know, finishing it. So I realized that the mind can do some powerful things. The body obviously was done. I, I remember shaking before the race, still detoxing. And then I put my mind into it. I said, that's it. I'm going to prove to myself that I can, you know, survive what I survive and get myself better. And, and I finished it. And it's, it's amazing what the human mind can go through. You know, yes, you want to give up, uh, you know, maybe uh, six hours into it, you know, climbing those mountains and the cramping and dehydration and so forth. But then you just push your brain a little further, just a little bit further. And all of a sudden, 
your temperament, everything changes. Oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm doing this. I'm doing this for my kids and for me because I want to be a better person. I want to be a better person for my community, for my family, for my kids. So after that race, that was fantastic. I thought, wow, I'm going to be sober forever now. And, and of course, I wasn't ready yet. And I even did a, a fundraiser the year after where I actually, uh, I, I, I went around my, uh, my local mountain in Camelton, New Brunswick. It's a sugarloaf. It's five kilometers around and it's one kilometer up, but it's a thousand feet. So I said, well, there's a chin up bar up on top. I'll do a fundraiser. So I raised about $1,500 for mental health. And that was really helping me. And I said, well, I'm going to raise money and then buy some, some mental health books that really helped me. So I worked with someone at the mental health center to, to do this. And I finished it. We went, I think I went up 10 times, which is 10,000 feet of elevation. And then I ran, ran around it 10 times, which was about 55, 60, 60 kilometers. I did 200 burpees and then 200 chin-ups, all for mental health. Again, thinking I'm cured. But it didn't, it, it took basically until almost just three years ago now that I'm finally, I, I finally just quit drinking. I, said, I had enough. And I just made that decision. And I remember one of my clients, after all those things that I've accomplished, you know, in, in, in the physical world and the business world. And I remember my client looking at me and says, Jill, you made all the excuses. The only thing left to do now, you dealt with all the trauma, you, you got all the excuses. Now you just got to put your foot forward and do it you know your doctor gave you all these pills and stuff like that and you're just masking everything now i don't know why that conversation sticks in my mind it was a client but he's also my mentor and he's also a friend and he's in his 70s so you got to experience a lot in the world and that stuck with me and and, and that was it I, I remember just saying i just got to put my foot forward and i stopped feeling sorry for myself but all the things that you know, that happened to me. And I realized that there's so much to do. Obviously I'm around for a reason. There's no way someone can actually, you know, get in all those car accidents and total vehicles and being on intubated and alcohol seizures, which are very, very dangerous. Um, to wake up from a seizure is, is, is a good thing, right? You can go either you go into a coma or you die or you wake up. So you got three. Luckily, I woke up in all those. So I decided to, to take my life back, but to also speak to schools. So I did a lot of public speaking on, on, on addictions, as well as mental health, because addictions all start with mental health. You know, that's where it starts. You can't deal with the pain. So you, you go with the addiction. So if you just deal with the addiction, you're not going to, you're not going to, probably succeed and what's the chance of succeeding if you don't fix the baseline so uh, you know i was always trying to fix alcohol i'll just quit alcohol well i had to fix jill first and it was fun to see the real jill back you know like the real me the the caring guy the empath the one that doesn't make excuses well i can make excuses at the at the gym why i didn't bench very good ah feeling a little off, a little tweak. I can still have those excuses. And, and the golf swing wasn't on plane today. 
we can all make those excuses but i stopped making excuses the, the real big excuses in life it so sounds I'm, like i'm hoping hoping now with the the position that i'm in now with being a metabolic analyst obviously being a personal trainer and so forth i hear all the excuses and i can tell the pain that my clients are and i have to put myself in their shoes and realize that it has to come from them to to stop eating to get fitter to do the things they need to do to to live a longer life and a more quality of life and that's what we're all about here is to try to live, live a quality healthy life it sounds like you've lived a life you know full of extremes like those yes. deep valleys but then also you know you you talk about the Spartan races and the endurance events. Those are those mm. extreme highs. Yeah. It's when you're, when that, that 70 year old mentor you were, you were mentioned, it, it was almost like you were ready at that time to hear it. And yeah. if anybody else, or even that individual at any other time would have told you that same thing, you wouldn't have been ready. And so it was the right moment and you were ready to receive it. Would you say that was, like the world working its magic to make sure that that was the time for you to receive it and to decide that that was the time to make a change. Yes, it's definitely, it, it, it I think it, it brought me back to <laughs> the first time he said it, I kind of held back because I remember at, actually at my, my mother's, uh, my mother, at my father's funeral, I was 30 years old at the time, and I remember being dizzy. There was such a big lineup. And I remember my mom, uh, I got dizzy. I went down on one knee because we were shaking hands with the entire city of Camelton. And my mom said, get up and suck it up. <laughs> I was like, my mom grew up in that tough generation. Even You know, she's she's lovable, but, you know, she's in that generation. She's like, okay, suck it up. Let's, let's do her thing. And... When when my when my mentor said that, it brought me back to that, which was a little harsh in that situation, but in essence, I in that instant I got my mother's message. I thought it was an awful message for my mom to say, but in essence, it it now teaches me to go, wow, I need to suck it up of everything that I that I've done in the relationships that I ruined, suck it up move on and and yes I, I do want to rebuild some of these relationships and and hopefully they'll 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 accept that after three years of sobriety and everything that i've accomplished in three years it's crazy but yeah that key phrase i was ready for it i didn't know what direction i needed to go but that key phrase brought back other phrases that people have told me interesting to hear these stories because i like i hear them often and it seems like there's always a pivot point mm. when that decision is made i'm i'm fascinated to wonder if there were other moments where that could have happened but didn't mm. like we our life we, we're given all of these opportunities all the time and sometimes we act on them and sometimes we don't but you, you again, decided or chose to act on that moment, on that decision at that time. And look where it got you now, right? Three years sober. That's not nothing. 
that's like, congratulations on that, by the way, Thank that's, you. that's huge. And I actually was just on a podcast recently. Um, I never had a problem with alcohol before, but I drank on social occasions and stuff. And it's been just over three years now that I haven't had a drink. Wow. Feels pretty damn good. It started good for out, physiology. I'll tell right. you, it started out as a, thir- a 30 day challenge and now it wow. turned into three years later and it's still, the challenge is still going. Right. But it's well, turned your, your into- body's thanking you for it. Oh, for probably, sure. Yeah. Even just that one drink. Now the new physiology behind the alcohol, everything has changed now. That one drink yeah. doesn't let you sleep good. If you don't sleep good, guess what? Your mental health issues will, you know, will, will you know, you're not rested in that deep sleep. There's, there's a lot of, of new, uh, new uh new theories coming out on on just that one drink absolutely good for you good for you yeah thanks so let's go into what 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 are you currently doing now you're you're into this metabolic um you know testing and training tell us a little bit of more more about that and uh yeah I'd yeah like to well, find out what in, that's all about well back in 2015 when i, I became a, a personal trainer i realized that wow i'm training the people the same way and I know I can't train that person the same way, but being with a corporation, they, they kind of want you to, to train them all a certain way. And I was like, well, that person just wants to feel better. So I don't want to make this person do squats or this person doesn't have a squat stance. So maybe I'll just do something. So I realized that, wow, I need to do different training program for different people. And some people, I knew their metabolism was slow that I can't make them do too much cardio. Uh, but I'm guessing. I'm throwing darts everywhere, you know, using my my common sense, going, hmm, slow metabolism, fast, medium, all these different things. So I was like, it has to be a better way to train someone and to fix people's emotions, the mental health aspect. So I decided to kind of, for me as a personal trainer, I decided that, the physiology and understanding how their everybody's individual physiology works, and with the the Pinoy, so it's basically it's a full VO2 max. I test their resting metabolic rate to see how you know they're using fats and carbohydrates and see how fast their metabolism is during rest. Are they are they breathing too much at rest? You know the the humans we should be breathing between six to twelve times a minute. And, and very, very small amounts, right? 500 mils, so let's call it 0.5 liters. But if you're breathing in, you know, two liters at rest, you're over-breathing. Too much oxygen decreases, it, you know, it's, uh, it decreases your pH level. It, it just puts everything out of whack. Parasympathetic nervous system gets out of whack. So you're not going to get that good sleep. So I realize just the resting metabolic rate, wow, you're over-breathing. How do we fix that? And when I do the exercise, the VO2 max test, VO2 is a, it's a good number for doctors to use to see the longevity and, and how cardio fit you are and, and a good test for a metabolic age as well and how good of an athlete technically you are. A, a really good athlete or good runner or a good kayak or you know the, the rowers to bicyclists generally have a high VO2 max. That's the amount of uh, volume of oxygen per milliliter um, per, per pound of kilogram, right? Not per pound, but per kilogram. So the higher your number, uh, 
it, it's better for aging. So if I'm at 65, I'm a 65 VO2, I got a high VO2. So I know that by seven, 70 years old, since I'm 50, almost 50, but 50, every decade, I'm going to drop by 10%. So I know, technically, if I stay, continue my fitness journey, I know that at seven years old, I want to be hiking and all this. So I want to be at 50 VO2 max at 70. Well, I work the numbers backwards at 65. If I lose 10% at 60 years old, I should, you know, you work the numbers backwards. I should be in my high 50s, you know, mid 50s, sorry, mid 50s, low 50s, VO2 max. That is understanding how Jill is and where Jill wants to be. So my clients, he told me what he wants to do at 80. So I know what his VO2 max is and I know where to keep him. So we had to bring up his VO2 max to do the things he wants to do when he hits 80. So I've been testing all these theories with the VO2 max on myself too, because I can tell if you're hyperventilating. Some people think their cardiovascular is done. Put a young person on and they're like, they get to like zone three, there's five zones. You know, zone two is, is a really good metabolic health state, right? So you can build a lot of mitochondria density and that is where we get the best fat burning, right? So, for, you know, when people say that you shouldn't run because you're, you're just burning your muscles. Well, if you can run and be in zone two, hey, that's, that's great. You're burning fat. You're building mitochondria density. It's cellular health. But if you're running and you're always in zone three and four and five, you're just stressing your body all the time. So I'm able to... to to do these tests and find out where that zone two stops and you start burning carbohydrate as a fuel. So we all know when you're burning carbohydrates, you may have what, 2,500 calories stored carbohydrates. So how long can you last without food? You know, if you're burning five, 700 calories per hour, you know, you're going to crash and you know, you might be able to do a half marathon, but after that, you're going to crash versus Running in zone two, if you're burning fat as a fuel as your major source, you know, we got what, 30,000 calories of fat stored? Eh, just go and have fun in zone two, right? Even ancient tribes, they would could run for days and days. Well, obviously they ran in zone two because they would do this on an empty stomach. That's how they so, would hunt their food. The, the, yeah. Right? The animals would, would pass out from exhaustion and the exactly. humans would just walk up and yeah. be like, oh, there it is. I would love to. I would like to do a, a VO two max test on these these people, and they're obviously running always in zone two, just just keeping using their fat as 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 fuel. So that was great, knowing all these reports and giving these reports. But then I started saying, "Well, I'm going to test a lot of theories out here. Let's test out um, breathing, slowing down my breathing, deeper breaths." Or then I started testing. Well. There's a hill coming up. How can I preload my body with oxygen and get ready for that hill and then hit that hill? And on top of the hill, I'm going to feel fantastic because I had all this extra oxygen. And on top of the hill, I'll say, well, I'm going to have to get rid of carbon dioxide. So I started experimenting with the uh, my Pinot unit, with my metabolic analyzer, and start testing a lot of the theories that were already tested or some of the theories that I came up on my own. And start testing, like, how do, how do I train a hockey player before going on the ice? 
Well, I get them to, to hyperventilate a little bit. When I say hyperventilate, breathe in and out fast. You do that 10 times, you better get on the ice or you're going to pass out. So if you get that shoulder tap, boom, get on the ice. Right before getting on the ice, do a couple of deep breaths, boom, preload. You got full of oxygen. Then go back to your regular breathing on the ice. When you get off the ice, do the same thing. Get rid of that carbon dioxide and then start calming your uh, your, your breathing down into a slower arithmetic, you know, with your nasal. So there's a lot of theories like that that I tested and see how it affected my pH level, my my uh, your uh, your carbon dioxide level. Is we need to keep our carbon dioxide high enough. If you're over breathing, carbon dioxide decreases. So it's fine you're getting all this oxygen in your blood, but if you don't have enough carbon dioxide, your tissues aren't going to absorb it. So if your tissues aren't going to absorb it, guess what? Well, either you're going to have a panic attack, you're going to <laughs> you're going to be gasping for air, so your sympathetic nervous system is on because you're like I'm dying. I can, my cardio is horrible. No, your cardio is not horrible. Your breathing is horrible. Let's fix your breathing, and you'll be able to finish the test in a couple of weeks once we fix the way you breathe. So there's a lot of misconception of people thinking, oh, I'm in bad shape. I get out of breath when I go up the stairs. It's just 80% of the people hyperventilate. And, and, and the big reason for, for, for this is we, we, we're mouth breathers. We turn into mouth breathing. And when you mouth breathe, you can suck in a lot of air and you can, you can get rid of it pretty quick. So you end up breathing a lot more versus the nasal you know, our nasal cavity is a little denser. It's got all these little fibers and a little hair. And, and it also humidifies the air and, and warms it up to more body temperature versus the mouth doesn't have those receptors. So I learned a lot by this physiology and how to help people. Let's, let's go back again. And, and it's all, most of my clientele want to go backwards in life. So my age is 49 years old, but my metabolic age is 29. So I, I maxed it out. What does that really mean? Am I going to live 20 years longer? No, but it probably extends my health by or my, my lifespan by about five to 10 years. However, my quality of life dramatically going to increase when I'm 80 years old. If I continue this program of my metabolic age, and that's my goal for people. And that seems to be the goal for everybody. I don't care to live to 100. I care to live when I'm 80. And I can go hike. I can go like walk my dog. I can go travel. That seems to be the, the, the goal for people. And it's not that hard to achieve when you get a metabolic test done. You follow the guidelines of what your, your, your weaknesses are. If your weakness is it's your, you got a low VO2, well, then we got to fix your breathing pattern. And then we got to fix maybe to train a little bit more of the interval training. Maybe we get you to go do a hit class once a week. Um, so it's a great snapshot. And it's, it really does not lie. I even did a test. Get this. I did a test on a, on a gentleman, prominent businessman in Moncton. And he said, Joe, I'm not going to listen to anything. Anything you're going to say, however, I will do your breathing thing for six weeks. I said, all right. He had a 42, 42 VO2. So he was like at almost run excellent. He wasn't superior. He was just kind of like excellent for his age. He's my age. 
So got him breathing exercise and he followed it a hundred percent. He followed my program for respiratory training. He increased his VO2 max by 27%, which gave him seven years. He reduced his, his metabolic age by seven years with six weeks of just respiratory training. He did his own training, like the same thing. He did his calisthenics and he walked with his, uh, with his wife, uh, he didn't listen to my zone two because when he walks, I'm like, how can you walk and be in zone three? It doesn't make sense. How fast <laughs> you're walking? He's like five miles an hour. I said, I have to jog at five miles an hour. I can't walk. It's no wonder you're not getting your zone two. So didn't get any of that stuff. So nothing changed. Nothing changed in six weeks except for his VO2 and his control. He was able to breathe mm. deeper and his his speed volume so his breathing frequency went way down so he wasn't hyperventilating he was in full control and his vo2 max i think went up to in the 50s i forget the, the the exact amount but he was in the 50s nothing changed except for respiratory so it goes to show you eh, the power of how we can change even just breathing how we can change our physiology six okay. weeks Oof. I, I have a client coming your way because she Every workout that she does here, zone five, maxed oh. out, max, like has a hard time finishing the workout fit, like can lift and strong and all that, but any cardio stuff right in that hyperventilation zone and has nothing. And I tracked mine today and 44% of the workout was zone two. The rest was like 14% was one, 20 some percent was zone three. That was you? Yeah. But okay. the overwhelming majority was zone two. I feel fine. Like it was a hard yeah. workout. We're going to test her again today and see where her zones are. And it's going to, I'm assuming it's going to look like a complete flip, like an opposite. Yeah. And that takes a lot longer for the body to, to recuperate. Right. Or in, yeah. And you can get injured and you're in zone five and you're at your threshold. <laughs> so the body takes almost 48 hours to recoup. Well, it does take 48 hours depending on your physiology, but that's a good baseline. So, so you're you're saying that breathing, just focusing on breathing strategy and technique and training mm -hmm. can make a massive difference in that. Massive difference and, and mental health too, right? So I work on uh, what I'm working on now is a CO2 tolerance. So when I'm running now, I'm keeping myself in zone two, just breathe in and out through my nose. And when I'm on my exhale, I exhale just lightly, normal breathing, but as soon as the exhale, I'll hold my breath. Now, I don't start off with, with my athletes or my clients doing this. So I'll do maybe 15 run steps. So I'm running on a, on, on a breath hold. So I'll do this, and then I'll catch my breath again. If I have to breathe in through my mouth, I went too hard. So I'm teaching my body that CO2 levels are going to go up. And you're going to see your heart rate too when you do this. Mm. You want to do it at first. I, I teach people to do it just sitting, then walking, then doing their sport. But you can see your heart rate going down and down and down. So it calms because you're actually absorbing more oxygen because your CO2 levels goes up. It, it, it's a dramatic effect there. And you can feel the oxygen just going into your blood after your first breath. And in a control breath. So it's pretty cool on, on what you see, because now what I'm doing is I'm teaching my body 
to not go to a lactic acid and seize up. I'm teaching my body to use lactate as a fuel. So when my CO2 goes up, my body's not panicking. No problem. We'll use the lactate as a fuel. We'll use his fat as a fuel or use his, his, his carbohydrate as fuels. It, it's also kind of gives you a, a sense of altitude training too. It, it's hard. It's, it's not the same because altitude, you're, you're breathing in, let's say, 16, 15% oxygen. At sea level, we're breathing in 21%. But I'm teaching my body how to lack that, how to increase my CO2. And even by doing breathing techniques with my Pinoy mask, I can, I can go from uh, tipping the scale to zone three and by lightly breathing, upping my CO2 on the treadmill, I'll just basically go down to zone two and then I can control my breathing and my zones just by upping my CO2. So if I know my CO2 goes down a bit, my body's not absorbing the oxygen, so I basically a little slower breath, not as deep, and I'll up the CO2. Boom, my heart rate goes into that zone too, and I keep it there until I have to redo, retrain, redo. So I'm trying to do that so that my body does it automatically. You know, it's like doing a, you know, one of your lifts, right? It takes 10,000 times to do the lift to become really good at it. Same thing, I'm teaching my brain how to do it automatically to up my CO2 automatically and not crave that oxygen. Right. Yeah. Yeah. This is all super fascinating. And I hope the nerds out there are really enjoying this. <laughs> yeah. Because it gets really technical and, and, and then it's how to teach it to, you know, the common folk that just wants to be able to climb the stairs. You know, I had clients, you know, a couple of Saturdays ago, I had a client call me and said, Jill, guess what I'm doing? My wife's laughing at me. I'm climbing up and down the stairs. Why, why are you doing that? Are you, are you doing some cardio or something? says, no, no. I'm just showing her that I can breathe. Like I'm not out of breath. Yes. It, so that's it, a win. Feels, it, that's a win. It, and that's a win for that person. For another person, it might be just, you know, uh, going for a 45-minute walk. And they're like, I'm not exhausted. I don't have to go for a nap. And the other person could be, wow, my sport. You know, that 1% for a for a hundred meter dash or, or for someone that's doing an 800 meter, that's the, that's the major difference. Right. Sure. And I, and I even know, I even have tricks to preload the body to get rid of the, uh, you know, we all have storage of, of blood, right. That, that basically that, that we hold and the body will release that. If you can trigger that release of the, uh, uh, oh my gosh, I'm can't think of it. Not the die for, uh, the, not the kidney, the, uh, oh my gosh, where our body uh, stores the blood. Can't think of it. But anyway, our body, we can release about 300 milliliters of blood, extra blood in our body by doing some breath holds before we do an exercise. And that release of that, that three liters of blood, uh, or 300 mil, 200 to 300, that can give you a, a competitive advantage by doing some breath hold. Um, exercises very easy to do in like five minutes your body's going to release that and then you have access to all that extra blood and extra nutrients and your body can provide more oxygen to those tissues so there's a lot of little things like that very cool you you talked about the metabolic age and the vo2 and how that all affects it what about muscle mass 
how does muscle come into this? Because we know that we, there's evidence of this where you have people that can run and do all the, the cardio aspects yeah. but without the muscle mass to balance that out, they yep. become very feeble and actually yep. more injury prone in the long run. So what's your view on adding muscle and, mass as and, on top of this? It's, 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 it's a must, right? It's, it's a huge, it's more, I know what I do decreases my metabolic age in a way, trail running, right? All these ultras. So I have to force myself to go to the gym because my new, you know, I did the bodybuilding, you know, I was number one in, I didn't tell you about that. I was number one in Canada in 2001. I won the, the Bantamweight, the little guy. So I, I, I won that in 2001 and 2002, Canadians. Uh, sorry, second place in 2001, first place 2002. So the importance of muscle mass increases your metabolism. Well, if your metabolism is up, you're going to burn a lot more calories. Your bones are getting denser. So you need that muscle mass as we age. Too much cardio, not good. So you'll see a lot of people in certain, you see them running and they're huffing and puffing. You know their body's using all their carbohydrates. Well, what's left after you burn the carbohydrates? You're going to be burning your muscles, Right. So they're getting fuels from their, their, their muscles instead of actually doing some zone two. So muscle mass is huge for the metabolic health. And that is a huge and a must. And we have, we can't just go to the gym and do, you know, uh, 15 reps and you could have had like five more. If you're going to do high reps, it has to be that 15th one. We have to push. It has to be hard you might have one left in you, you know, that's when you stop or go to exhaust. We have to push our body. So even if you're doing lightweight, it has to be to, to that, to that grind. But if you're finishing the 51 racking up, <laughs> texting, texting, it has to be high. Right, so I don't care how many reps people do when I'm, I'm doing calisthenics or doing TRX or doing weights. It has to be that they got to be pushed hard so muscle mass is yeah it's a must and my new high is this trail running so for me it's it's a struggle for me to do it and i'm a and i'm a trainer i'm a metabolic you know analyst and <laughs> respiratory instructor and i struggle to push myself to go to the gym three times a week do my muscle mass now the thing is it doesn't being a natural bodybuilder uh, back in the day I realized that people that were with me, training with me, were, were taking, you know, anabolic, you know, some steroids, and I realized they could do twice as much as me. So I learned very quickly that I'd be leaving the gym after maybe forty minutes, and you know, and I would go four times a week. They would be there an hour and a half, two hours, but they didn't understand how I was getting so strong and and bigger muscles. You know, rip them up, feed them and rest <laughs> pretty easy. I tell this them? to people all the time. You don't get strong from lifting weights. You get no. strong from resting from lifting weights. Exactly. Rip the muscle, yeah. feed them and yeah. rest. It's cool. Yeah. Jill, I'd like to find out what your, by the way, this is a crazy story, crazy conversation. I love all of this. Yeah. We're I'm all like, over the map, aren't we? I know it's, it's good. <laughs> it's fine. There's no, there's no script here. Um, I would love, this is a, obviously a resiliency podcast, so I'd like to hear what your definition, how would you define resiliency in your own words? 
for me, resilience is the ability to bounce back. That's what resilience meant to me. Even though I was stuck in that hole, you know, that, you know, you called it the mountain, climbing the mountain, falling off the mountain, climbing the fall off. You know, maybe the people that truly knew me or believed in me knew that finally uh, I was resilient. So if I didn't die, I probably would make it out because I'm going to find something that's going to help me. Obviously, all those things that I was doing, nothing clicked yet. But I was resilient. I was bouncing back up. I never gave up. You know, I never gave up when things were tough, when, you know, my daughter wasn't talking to me. And I didn't blame her for not wanting to talk to her, her dad, right? Like, there's so much drama around them. But I never gave up. You know, I, I tried. I, I I made sure my kids were, were, were involved going, listen, dad did this, but dad's not a quitter. Dad's doing this, and he's studying this, and he's doing these courses and doing this. And, and helping other people as well along the way. So resilience to me is the ability to bounce back and to never give up. Like it's, it's, it's a hard, you can't really teach it, but you can try to inspire someone to be resilient. And, and that's what I'm striving for. Even if it's just to lose weight, you got to be resilient to, you know, to, that, you can't put in the, those jeans on. You don't feel good. You got to actually go, you know what? But I'm going to push forward, push beyond that, that threshold. And, and if you wake up the next day, this is where the true people that really, I think, figured it out, that resilient, where they go, I'm not motivated. And I don't even know why I'm doing this. Like, I have no reason to do this. But they'll get up. They'll go to the gym anyway those unmotivated moments where you just say, it's my routine, I'm going to do it. Because I know that resilience, it's not instant to get up, get up. And then all of a sudden, you know, two weeks later, you're like, wow, I am motivated. I'm, I'm happy that I went, did those things at the gym. I'm happy I didn't drink last month. I'm, I'm, I'm happy that I, I didn't, you know, smoke that cigarette or, or, or vaped or did all those things. So you can't teach it, but you can motivate someone to be resilient. And that's that's the exact way to practice it. Like wit, that's an easy way of practicing. Yeah. I don't feel like getting up and doing thing. Get up and do it. You're practicing resiliency right there. Exactly. And it's to, to, to teach your brain to go, I'm not motivated. I don't want to go to the gym today. And I'm probably going to go because I'm going to force myself to go. And you know what's weird? Okay, this is how bad I am. I'm, I'm a guy that's, I go 110% all the time. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to take a pre-workout. I don't like pre-workouts. You know, it amps you up too much. But sometimes I want to be resilient. I'm going to force my my body to go. Because I want to take this, this shot of adrenaline. Well, not adrenaline there, but <laughs> take a shot of caffeine and the uh, everything that that's in that supplement. If I don't go, I'm going to have a panic attack. So I might as well go to the gym. Burn it off. But you, it's exactly, but it goes to show you that, you know what, you, sometimes we just have to, like my mom said, suck it up on certain days. I got to suck it up and do it. And that's weird as it is, that key phrase that my mom said that I, I didn't like, I didn't, it's not a place to say it, you know, suck it up. What in the heck? My own mother, my father's funeral, that it only clicked in 10, my God, almost 20 years down the road, you know. So you have to 
practice do stuff that you don't like to do in order to be resilient it's really fortunately folks uh suck it up as my mom would say <laughs> and and do the work and and follow people that inspire you really really listen to those people follow them on social media hang out with some resilient people that is my key thing if i can tell you anything is i surround myself with resilient people and guess what when you hang around with the five people if they're all making a lot of money well guess what you'll probably end up making money somehow one way or another you hang out with really fit people well guess what you're going to be either going hiking with them they're going to be dragging you to the gym you're going to get fitter if you hang out with these resilient people well it's infectious you're gonna end up being resilient and when i heard about your podcast i was like wow i love it uh, the first two that i listened to i was like wow we need more of people like you to 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 help inspire people to be resilient because we all have it in us the human brain what it can do you know on that mountain in 2017 where you know i had a, a seizure seven days before and I was intubated to be able to be resilient to climb that mountain for 44 kilometers and whatever 50 obstacles that we did. And we both made it off that mountains when others didn't. What does that show you? I'm not a fantastic, I'm not a great, great athlete. I'm five foot six, 145 pounds. So it's resilience. And if you know, you can have a really fantastic athlete, you know, you got athlete A who scores as many goals as athlete B. Right. And you do a metabolic test, metabolic test, and they score almost the same, except for a few things that we need to fix here. This guy pushes himself to the limits. This guy, I can tell that he still has lots left in the tank because I can see his scores, but he's just not resilient. This guy here, I can teach him to do to increase the VO2 max, I can increase this. This guy goes to the hundred and 20%. It'll go until he pukes. Well, which one is a scout going to want to get? He's going to want to get this guy who can go past that threshold and be resilient and to surpass that mental game. And that is what resilience is all about. And that's important for scouts. And it's important for our day-to-day -day life to survive in this crazy world we live in. <laughs> Absolutely. Jill, it's been an absolute pleasure having you as a guest on the show. Um, like you said, I hope a lot of people can get a chance to listen to your story, listen to these moments of resiliency and use that as inspiration. And I think you gave some real practical, useful examples of things that they can do in their real life to, to put that to use. So I want to thank you again for coming on the show. Well, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. And and I hope uh, I hope to hear a lot more cool stuff from your podcast now that I heard about you like two times in one week and I uh, got to listen to two podcasts. So I look forward to hearing more, uh, more guests on your show. Sounds good. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Kevin. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with others or leave a rating and review. To catch all the latest episodes, be sure to subscribe and I'll see you next time.